Welcome to episode 251 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Steph Engel. She is a product designer currently working at Cruise on autonomous Cruise? cars, uh, helping them cruise smoother than ever before. Uh, before that, She's she, not working on the high uh, suspension. She's literally designing car suspensions. Uh, before that, she was uh, working on social VR at Facebook uh, and many things before, which we will get to shortly. But before That's we do... That's literally the whole show, dude. Thanks for the spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler alert. We talk about what uh, Steph, Steph works on and horses. Before we get to that, though, I want to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. First up is Abstract. Abstract is secure design version control in the cloud. It is a hub of collaboration for your entire team around your design files. Imagine working on a uh, design. Done. And every every time you save... Uh, yeah. that save is captured in such a way that you can uh, go back to it at any point in the future. So saving. And uh, vivid picture. Then your computer explodes uh, and you don't have to worry about it because uh, you have a secure backup in the cloud with that exact design with all previous states and iterations that you've ever made ever across your whole team. Brian, I just like to say you're a very evocative storyteller and I appreciate that. That is abstract. It's... Uh, one final version control system for your design files, for your design team. It makes collaborating together easier than ever before. You don't have to worry about your computer exploding because all of your files are saved in the cloud. Great. Uh, And for the times uh, when your computer is not exploding, this benefit of being in the cloud makes it easy for your team to work on the same file at the same time without worrying about uh, conflicting changes or overriding each other's errors. Abstract, when your computer has exploded, and also for all and the also other, other times. <laughs> and also other times. Uh, if you've never worked with a version control system in the past, this is like the next way to level up the way you think about designing and iterating on a product. And Abstract has made this incredibly easy to do uh, while also bringing in the benefit of collaborating with non-designers. Git and other version control systems are so core to the developer experience. It's amazing that we haven't gotten to a place where design depends on version control and finally we're getting there yep uh and and that collaboration piece makes it so that your engineers and your product managers and the ceo and stakeholders in your company don't need to have a sketch on their computer they can go and leave feedback in abstract and you can have conversations there or integrate uh directly into your slack team so you can have conversations about your files without having to have the design tools that produce the thing or if they do have sketch they can propose things without ruining your file Yep. Which is pretty chill. Pretty chill. Uh, they're offering a free month trial if you go to goabstract.com. Uh, if you just sign up or you can click around, see how it works, uh, see what it takes to get your team set up. We highly recommend trying it. And you can do that for one month for free at goabstract.com. Thank you to Abstract. Our second sponsor is back again. Back. Swipeys. Swiping again to the right. Swiping right. Swipeys. Swipeys are reusable. They invented swipe and write, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, reusable wet erase paper. What does that mean, Bryn? It is kind of like those old slides. You remember slides? Yes. From like transparencies, I guess, are yes. what they were called from like back in the day in yes. your classroom. But like, what if you're only trying to project it to your own eyeballs uh-huh. because it's right in front of you and you used a pen on it? I mean, it's the same kind of pen. So That's it's like the same thing, but it's paper and it has a grid on it. And on the backside, it doesn't have a grid on it. Color me intrigued. <laughs> well, I only have blue, green, red, and black because that's the main like wet erase oh, colors. Oh, yeah, you picked up the new intrigued color set. 
uh, <laughs> intrigued by <laughs> Swipeys. Whatever the fuck. Okay. There's so many dumb marker brands. Swipeys are paper you can draw on and then draw on them later after you've wiped it off. It, the fact that it's wet erase also means that you can share that piece of paper, carry it around without worrying about you share your wet paper getting, with other people. Things getting smudged or rubbed off in your backpack. It's the perfect prototyping tool if you are drawing wireframing. Uh, it has a grid on the front so you can quickly mock up a layout, take notes, hand that off to uh, another designer or an engineer and not worry about the information getting lost. No other types of people, just designers and engineers. No other people these uh, it has special fingerprint detection that knows what kind of role you uh, perform at your company and if you are not a designer and engineer it turns red hot and will burn your fingers yeah if you're not very good at your job too it'll be like <laughs> it will absorb the ink and not let you draw on it sucks to be you but if you are good go to swipeys uh, that's s-w-i-p-i dot e-s or just look up swipeys order a bunch order them for yourself for your team uh but if your company wants to get on board and actually change the way that you collaborate together with uh, written content uh, mock-ups, uh, ditch the whiteboards, get your company to buy a whole bunch of swipeys. You can get them custom made just for you. I mean, if you really want a whiteboard, you can just like pin a whole bunch of them up or something, like tape them to your wall. Mobile whiteboards. Uh, go to swipi.es and check them out. Swipeys post-it notes. Think about it. Think about it. Kaylee. Kaylee. <laughs> and everyone else, go ask for those because that would be awesome. Uh, thanks again to Swipeys and Abstract. And with that, let's get an episode 251 with Steph Engel. Hi, I'm Stephanie, or most people call me Steph. Um, I'm a product designer. I live in San Francisco, and currently I am working on self-driving cars at an offshoot of General Motors called Cruise. Cool. I see the Cruise cars all the time now. Yep. What are you working on? So specifically, I work on the in-car experience, which is, uh, as I explained it, a lot of like today and tomorrow problems. So problems today are like, why should I want to get in this vehicle? Or like, what's happening? Why should I trust this thing? Not having to talk to drivers. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the tomorrow problems are um, some offshoot of like all of the fancy concept cars that you see. Like, what is the car of tomorrow? And is it a car? And uh, what should it be? So, Is it a flying car? I can't disclose that at this time. So no comment. No comment. Strongly. <laughs> That response leads me to only one conclusion uh-huh. that we should expect a flying car. Well, there are companies already working on them. I know, but specifically autonomous flying cars from General Motors within Just the next pour all wow. your money months. into GM stock and you'll see what happens. Leaked. Soaring growth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good flying good joke. I know. Good one. Uh, talk to me about the today problems because autonomous cars are obviously a hot topic right now. Um, but I feel like I don't know anything about it. <laughs> it's just like, oh, they drive themselves. That's all I know. Yeah. So, uh, it's funny cause like at this point now I've worked on two of these like hot topic subjects, one being virtual reality when I was at Facebook and then now, uh, autonomous cars. Trend at- designer. <laughs> Steph <laughs> exactly. Engel. Uh, no, I really just do it for to be trendy but um what don't people, we all you know well if we really get some level if we really get down I mean, this to is it a designer podcast <laughs> so um yeah i feel like this is a safe space to say that um <laughs> anyway so yeah so i think like what people so just at a base level what people miss is like although it's very can be i have these glamour moments where i'm like oh 
crap, what I work on is like super awesome and super futuristic, but often like a lot of problems are just like, the tools I need to make this don't even exist yet. And while designers are like, should I use uh, this tool or that tool? I'm like, I wish I had like a choice between those kinds of options. So there's like some of those problems, but in terms of like actual consumer problems, I think that a lot of it is like these base level problems trying to understand like what people don't expect to getting into a self-driving car. So, and a lot of that is like trying to understand what things that drivers do today to like, uh, basically solve all these problems for people. So one thing with a self-driving car is like, once you get into it uh, and you start riding around and doing things, you know, today we have these safety drivers in the front. And so we can't really predict how people like tomorrow are gonna act and see these things. So there's like this logistical challenge of trying to design for something that you can't really test very well yet. Mm. Um, I know Ford had some like concept or something where they like dress someone up as a seat and had them like actually <laughs> drive in the car, but they were dressed as a seat and I don't know what. Good idea. Were. Hilarious. Right. <laughs> so we don't do that. Um, but yeah, so it's a lot of like trying to solve some of those challenges, but like from a human level, it's just things like if the car stops, uh, it didn't mean to, um, is, is it broken? Is it uh, following some law that I just don't know because I didn't study my permit test very hard? You all know Jeremy Goldberg. Yes. Jeremy had a start-stop BMW uh-huh. at one point and he would get like terrified every time the engine would stop, even yeah. though it was supposed to. Like, Sorry, Jeremy. He actually <laughs> knew yeah. it was happening. Yeah. The So he got a Tesla where it never turns on. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, no, so it, it's just a lot of like, you, you know, people just don't. So one thing that's pretty funny is like, our, so our cars have to follow all the laws. That's not the funny part. Uh, the funny <laughs> Hilarious. part is when people get into the cars, they you realize that people's conception of driving is very different than like how the cars actually go because yes. people are used to kind of like breaking laws constantly all the time. <laughs> yeah, and so rolling through stop signs, speeding, California yeah. stops, like all yeah. that sort of thing. And so our cars are very much optimized for safety and protecting people. And so, um, yeah, so people get into the car and they're kind of like, what will just, you know, just pull over into that bike lane or things like that. When we actually like have to think really deeply about like, how do we respect the city and, and that sort of thing. So, um, that's a hard challenge to kind of like bridge that gap for people too. So when you say you're designing the in-car experience, can yes. you give me like a practical example here? Cause it sounds like we're talking about more than interfaces and buttons and and apps. Yeah, so I would say one of my favorite parts of my job and both the last two jobs I've had is getting to think about like all the senses. So um, there's everything from like visual design to sound design to hardware, software, um, which is really fun for me uh, because like it means you get kind of this like ultimate control over the experience but uh, it's also just a lot of moving parts to, to think about. So it's everything I would say from like, where should this button go in the car today? Like on these prototype Chevy bolts that we mm-hmm. use in the city to things like um, interfaces that help people understand how the car's thinking and coming to decisions about the world and making that like really human and fun and friendly. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen like how LIDAR or sensors work in a self-driving car, mm-hmm. but you just look at one of those images and it looks like, I don't know, a sci-fi movie or something. It's just like crazy looking. And so uh, trying to distill that into information that is like, you know, easy enough for people to understand and maybe even fun and delightful for people to see is is uh, probably one of the hardest, but like most fun points of my job. I feel like there's a ton of 
small details in this kind of thing that make it either terrifyingly mechanical or like very humanized. Like uh, one of the examples I would think of right off the bat would be like the easing curves for acceleration and deceleration mm-hmm. would be like crazy because these engines can just accelerate linearly. Is that something that you've touched on? Are like those things part of your purview or is it more the interface side? It's definitely more interface. Like no one wants me designing their car. Uh, like if <laughs> the biggest thing that oh, I've... Oh, thank w- God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just rest easy, uh, citizens of San Francisco. Um, but, I, you know, I think the biggest thing I've learned being um, a part of General Motors is just like the great appreciation for what car designers do and how they mm. think about these things. Like, you know, I saw uh, all these examples of like suspension systems and like how they do that sort of thing. And as someone who gets kind of motion sick, I was like, wow, this is like great that they're hardcore addressing some of these huge problems. But so I might not take it from, I leave the car design and the car mechanics to the experts in cars. That kind of makes (laughs) sense, right? Um, And so I just call myself the expert in everything else. But I do think about some of these things like uh, motion sickness, for (laughs) example. Not car mechanic, expert in literally everything else. Literally, yeah. no, Expert of all trades, jack of none. Exactly. Yes. So <laughs> no Jack here. No, no Jacks. Um, so anyway, like I just, yeah, basically, but I do think about like uh, some of the same problems they do just from a different lens. So things mm. like motion sickness um, in a lot of interfaces today, uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily think about like motion sickness in VR. I actually did have to think about yeah. that. And so the cool part for me was being able to take a lot of knowledge, like from that particular uh, set of explorations around like, how can you make people, uh, you know, solve these inner ear challenges and things and actually bring some of those principles into the car too. Yeah, just increase the screen refresh rate of the car. Easy. Do you want a job? Like <laughs> So easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so this week I had to have uh, unexpected repairs on my car and I was talking with Bryn about it. Uh, I had to get my radiator replaced and the timing belt replaced. And Bryn said something interesting that I've been thinking about this week. He's like, everything on your car makes a a noise that tells you something's about to break, Mm -hmm. which I'd never thought about, but it's true. It's like how your brakes have raspers on them to tell you, like they'll start squeaking before there's actually a problem. Yeah. And like if your oil's low, like there'll be a clicking in the engine before like shit explodes. Cars are just... Don't let your engine knock, my dude. Yeah, yeah, No, that's that's how we... Uh, I was riding with a buddy and his engine started knocking. It's like, oh, well, that's how we know that things are really, really bad. That can also happen if you put the wrong grade of uh, gasoline in. Yeah. So like my- all these things are, are like amazingly considered and nobody thinks of them. But I'm wondering how like that stuff also transfers in because all of a sudden you're in a car that's not yours and... So one of my favorite examples of this... Uh, So first of all, I would say that like, you know, a lot of our there has been a lot of thinking on like, how do we like repair maintenance and make sure that these cars are always safe when people go to ride in them. But um, in general, so one of my favorite examples of like how cars are considered is this interesting detail, which is that electric cars don't technically need to make noise, but they Mm. have been given noise (laughs) uh, so that people can actually hear them. And that helps like pedestrians and, and all sorts of different like you know parts of the city interact with them the exterior communication problem has been like a thing with electric cars generally for a long time but i can imagine it's more important when you don't have someone actually there exactly so like yeah there's all these crazy patents out these days about um, exterior communication from the cars and you know today we have very simple mechanisms like blinkers Mm -hmm. uh and i think like a lot of those will continue to be extremely useful but in the future you're going to need more like nuanced forms of understanding like like foghorns (laughs) exactly Mercedes had a (laughs) prototype here in the city that would project onto the ground in front of it, Mm -hmm. like words. What? So like the the rider would never need to see it. It would just be like out there for pedestrians. It's 
kind of cool. Like variable length projectors lets you actually like say, here's where we're going to stop. Like people just know that you're going to stop then. It, huh. it's, yeah, it's like crazy how much like is assumed just by like seeing a driver there. You're like, they're going to stop for me. Like as long as you make that, you have that eye, eye contact. contact. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. And so, eye contact, uh, yeah. but with no one to make eye contact <laughs> with, you either build a very terrifying robot to make eye contact with you or probably a more elegant solution. <laughs> I hope a more elegant solution. Just a robot head out on the hood and just like. Yeah, exactly. Again, do you want a job? Because. <laughs> All right, sweet. This podcast, we both got new jobs. Uh, when uh, you, you mentioned that you're trying to figure out what are the tools and mechanics that you use to design this stuff. What are those things? Or like, where are you running into roadblocks of Ooh, wait. where tooling is today? To I, I had another exterior things. communication question. Oh, okay. Go. So the other thing, we've been talking about visual cues for external communication. Is audio a significant thing? Like uh, there's a, a dumb thing on the office where Andy runs into Dwight with his car because it's under 15 miles an hour. So it's silent or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I also saw a documentary a while back. Win. Yeah. The Audi R8 e-tron, their electric car, they made it sound like a spaceship, like like a sci-fi spaceship or whatever. So people would like know when it was around. Yeah. Is that something that you're like thinking about is like how should an electric car sound or? I mean, so I personally don't think about like what should it sound like. But in general, I do think about like audio cues and how do we um, across both like in the car and with the exterior parts of the car, like how are we thinking about uh, communicating with the outside world and Mm. also the passengers in the car and straddling this fine line between like getting you know, into this like creepy, uncanny valley territory and like, uh, but being less subtle than cars are today about that. Mm. Um, Because again, you have humans to do some of the signaling or, you know, yelling at each other and things like that. But uh, we don't have that anymore. So, or we won't have that anymore. And so, uh, so yeah, we definitely do think about, um, yeah, how do these cars communicate in a variety of different ways? And especially just thinking about like people with um, all sorts of impairments, like you need to be able to communicate like both in multi-sensory ways. Mm Okay, that's really all I wanted to ask. Now I want to know how you actually practically go about doing this. Yeah. I'm assuming you can't just whip up a sketch file for like, here's how the car should sound. Right. Uh, that we tried <laughs> that. Not yet. Well, not yet. sheet music. <laughs> sheet music. I think someone will make a plug-in probably, but, uh, uh, and you know, maybe a Figma will do it or something. But yeah. anyway, so uh, how do we actually do this? I mean, so I would say like, first of all, uh, again, even though I work on things that sound like futuristic and crazy um, and some days it does feel that way, but other days, like I'm just working on things that are very similar to like normal design challenges. Yeah, like sure. it, it was funny how much at Facebook people would come to me and be like, how's VR land? And I'm like, well, mm. I'm looking for the same Facebook assets that you are like, so it's, it's pretty similar. Uh, at least at a base level. So, but now in 3D. But now in 3D. <laughs> okay, but you know, so that's actually a huge thing is uh, it's funny how much of the same things that I did working on VR that I still do working on in-car things. So again, thinking about how to prototype with sound, things like that. Um, I use a lot of the same tools like Sketch, Framer, et cetera. What I am still missing is like the a really good 3D interaction prototyping tool. Mm-hmm. So something like Unity is like way too heavy to do this sort of thing, but uh, Cinema 4D lacks like interaction. So uh, I would say I do a lot of cobbling together of like a Cinema 4D prototype that like shows a bunch of things uh, having to do with the car, 
moving about the city and doing things um, and then like have to layer on after effects UI and things like that mm -hmm. after, which is like not ideally what I would want to do. Um, I, I've pushed so hard on like all these creators who are working on 3D interaction tools. And that's something that like my team would seriously benefit from. Um, but then, you know, there's obviously like car designers who work in like AutoCAD and things like that. So I've definitely like looked into and explored some of those things, but more from a like, it's kind of like learning um, code or something to get closer to your engineers. And sure. that's like sort of how I feel like I'm doing that. Um, that's cool. AutoCAD's good at modeling like mechanical behavior, but not like human behavior. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. So, and so, you know, I think like one of the big things too is we had a saying on the VR team um, that we have a parallel for now at Cruise and that saying was like, put it on your face. So basically the rule was like, nothing really you make looks like it can look great but like nothing really makes sense until you put it on your face and see how it actually behaves like you might uh put a headset on and the i don't know cre ai creature you made or whatever is oh, like yeah. that you thought would be so great to be standing next to you and showing you around is actually like terrifying um because it's just so close to you and in your face all the time and so one thing i say now is like put it in the car yeah <laughs> so like until it's like go actually, take a drive <laughs> right and so you because you forget about all these things like um we have these screens in the car, but uh, they're affected by things like glare or mm -hmm. or like they can cause things like motion sickness. And so we have to be really sensitive mm -hmm. to like how people like react to those sorts of things too. Yeah, what kind of hardware are you designing for, for like the, the visual stuff? Yeah, so, um, you know, right now I think like we use a variety of different like ongoing like all these screens that exist like in the car so it's mostly just those sorts of things um but then we also do uh develop our own apps as well for like employees to test the cars today and ride around in them and so um again it's not too different from like what people are using like we android ios yeah, okay. sure. all those types of platforms so I, i'm particularly interested in like in car systems because traditionally like they've been like terrible crt systems or like disconnected displays from controls and right. like yeah yeah, not I think, CRT. Uh, what's the capacitive touch? I was gonna no, say capacitive CRT. touch is the good one. Resistive touch screens. Mm. Yeah. So there's uh, yeah. So it's a combination of like I think okay. So the cars of the future will definitely have more more screens, more touch screens. But I think a lot of people predict like kind of the end of physical buttons when like I there's still like a lot of research and things that show mm. that people like prefer these uh, prefer physical buttons in a lot of different scenarios and that in any case you want like redundancies in the system. So you want as many emergency stop buttons like as you can mm -hmm. in case that there's like some sort of issue. So that's actually been one hurdle I've had to get over as like a, you know, starting out as a 2D software designer and then evolving from there is just like that, you know, there needs to be redundancies. That's not really a concept that exists so much in like app design. Like you don't need two home buttons or something like that. But in a car, you actually do want like a few of those different things to have. The thing to me, that's really interesting here is a lot of the way cars, I, I don't, I'm not super into cars, but it seems to me that a lot of the way cars are designed today is with this notion in mind that you're always looking at the road. So that's yeah. why I prefer a physical button because you can navigate the entire dashboard just by like moving your hand around and oh, like here's where that, that right. button is. It's glances and like touches. Right? Yeah. And so when that requirement of having to always be looking at the road goes away, it's pretty interesting to think about what is unlocked if you don't have to have that and maybe yeah. it's still the best thing to have 
a physical button layout, but seems like Tesla is obviously going the other way, like just put a screen there, you know? Yeah. And I think like there's, there's merit to both. Although I think that like with some of the physical button things, you can do things like have braille on them. Yeah. So there's like still like a huge classes of people who, who might be riding in these vehicles for whom, um, like physical buttons actually make the most sense. Yeah. And like vision impaired drivers are probably not super common these days and like making exactly (laughs) no and so that's actually i think that's a big hurdle for people to overcome is like uh thinking about designing for the driver Mm -hmm. is it has been a huge Mm -hmm. like that's been this history of car design is thinking about the person in the driver's seat and so you forget about how many controls are centralized like in that driver's reach but not to the rest of the car Mm -hmm. just things from like climate controls for example and things like that where like uh passengers historically didn't have access to controlling them so I don't know it's it's there's a lot of like parallels i think to like the airline industry and things like that where like they've distributed these systems over time i see you mentioned at the beginning that you break up your work into these buckets of today problems and tomorrow problems yeah what does that look like day to day or week to week like is that a percentage breakdown like friday is vision thinking future stuff and or how, oh. does, how does that actually work out <laughs> future fridays, future fridays. <laughs> i'm always just visioning um <laughs> yeah future fridays i wish uh no i think that it, you know, some people might have a better breakdown of this. I'm kind of like just a creative in every messy sense, I think. But uh, the way I try to do it is like one, like most of my work is this day-to-day thinking, which is like, how do we get to the next milestone or the next whatever it is within the company, right? And like trying to stay focused on that. But like in the background, having done a lot of planning to make sure that those like incremental things that we're doing are leading up to something bigger. Uh, one thing our team does as like a habit, which I really appreciate, is we make a lot of time for generative work as a team um, or like with other parts of the company. And so, uh, you know, I think it's really one, it's really easy to go from to think about like, what do today's cars look like? And then like go from like parking lots to parks. Like people are very good at saying like tomorrow parking lots are going to turn to parks. They're not great at articulating that like middle two to 10 mm. years or so. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and again, this was the- Ghost towns. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we're working on that. Um, no, but like we do a lot of these like generative kinds of workshops to uh, basically like solve that problem or kind of come up with like things that we should be doing in this like two to 10 year span. And often that'll inspire things that get put onto our roadmap for like earlier days. And we're super fortunate at Cruise that like we have so much design backing. Like we kind of joke that I'm not sure there's like a company that has- uh, like more design influence coming like from the top, which is great. Um, GM's been famous for that since like the fifties, I want to say. G- yeah, GM is, but even like, so I would say Cruise, Cruise operates like as its own, you know, company. Yeah. It has a very different culture from GM, but uh, but they share a lot of things in common. And yes, GM is known for that sort of thing. But even so, Kyle Vogt and Dan Kahn um, are the co-founders of Cruise, and they directly like they directly interact with design all the time they always want to hear what we're doing they always like love to see our stuff and have been kind of our biggest supporters and so it's fun for me because it feels like when we do these kinds of generative visiony future fridays like that sort of thing it's not just like throwing ideas at a wall Mm -hmm. and hoping that they like come to fruition someday it's like we actually like are able to take some sort of action on those things so uh you're using gm hardware right now with Mm -hmm. the bolt the chevy bolt chevy Um, bolt and for Actually, so it's not, we're evolving away from the Chevy Bolt though. It was like started with that, but now it's like we're evolving towards the Cruze AV, which is like its own distinct vehicle. Got it. I was just going to ask, like GM has decades of experience designing like uh, concept cars around 
like self-driving like there's been some that are basically meeting rooms on wheels <laughs> mm-hmm. like where the front seats are turned back around and like the doors slide apart and um crazy things like that i was gonna ask have you gotten like the benefit of their like experiments in that or is it just completely separated I can't comment directly sure. on some of those sure, things, sure. of course. Uh, but what I will say is I really enjoy working with GM and they have opened my eyes to a lot of different types of things. Um, one of the things you guys and I were chatting about earlier was like how uh, now I see a lot of the concept cars out there and with a little bit of a more critical eye, like I think I would have hmm. seen them before and been like, yeah, it makes sense that the cars of the future look like a transformer and that sort of thing. <laughs> but like now I'm like, oh, wait, but your future concept autonomous car still has a steering wheel and brakes and things like that, that like, why would it, I don't know, things like that where um, it's, uh, I have a little bit more of a critical eye towards it because of like the, what the GM team has exposed me to. Mm. And so um, genuinely like love working with them. I think that they're like super great partners and I'm not just like, you know, saying (laughs) that, Um, that was actually like something I was curious about coming into the company and like not really sure of like how that relationship worked. And it's actually been, a super There's positive a lot of thing. horror stories around that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. and and you really just never know going into it. But like, uh, Jen, and you know, for me coming from a place like Facebook, I was like, oh, I don't know, like, what this is going to be. But um, you know, I've only really enjoyed learning about car design and gotten like a much bigger appreciation for how that's done. It makes like designing apps and things just look so much like <laughs> easier in comparison. Yeah. So I have a massive respect for that, and I've learned so much about. Um, like they've done, it feels like they've done a lot of the thinking for me to answer your question. Yeah. Nice. It seems as though this particular field is so new that it faces like staggeringly uh, daunting obstacles, not only from the design and experience sense, like why do people want to do this, but also from the engineering side. And then there's the regulatory side, right? And I'm curious how, are those three three things all considerations for you or has it been designed or the company organized in such a way that you can really just focus on the experience? I think like we have to be thinking about all these things at a high level, but like from a personal standpoint, um, I, so in college I studied public policy and urban design. And so uh, I was actually much more interested in sort of these like latent benefits of self-driving cars far before I really knew what they were and uh, or even before I knew what design was. And that was actually how I got into design was like public policy was sort of like designing social systems and Facebook was a big social system. And that's kind of how I thought about the problems. And so uh, I I like can't do anything really without considering some of those things. Um, and, and so like I think that, yeah, like in general, I feel like the teams do a good job protecting each other in terms of like getting particular points of focus done. So we have great like product managers and uh, technical program managers and people like that who ensure that like all of our requirements are spelled out. And yeah, it it definitely is daunting looking at some of those requirements at some points. But uh, the things that Cruise has been able to do uh, pretty much astound me all the time. And so uh, I don't know. I'm like optimistic about all that. But yes, it can definitely be like a super daunting thing. Yeah. How does how does that uh, shape the design team? I'm curious what the team looks like, not how big it is, but like how work is split up and who thinks about what kinds of problems. For sure. Um, yeah, without going into like too much detail, one of the things that I think uh, has been great about our team is, so I was 
one of the first couple people on the team. And I realized that like immediately my job was going to be more about hiring than maybe designing things and designing a team more so. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things we prioritized really early on was how do we bring in um, enough domain experts and then people who kind of challenge that thinking. So when I joined, um, I had no like car design, ride sharing you could say relevant experience, uh, except for designing VR and, uh, which ended up having a lot of crossover, but I didn't really like see that at, at onset. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so from there, like our approach to hiring was again, like balancing domain experts, like hiring people from ride sharing companies, um, and, and transportation and, um, people come from like R&D units of car companies on our design team uh, and then like a total crazy balance of that so um, one woman I work with all the time uh, is a 3D artist and she's worked on everything from Saving Private Ryan to all wow. these DreamWorks movies and things like that and so uh, she and I have a really close collaboration and like she's you know never worked on cars and things either she's never even been at like a tech company before but she like brings this like totally new perspective and spirit to what's going on um, I would say our team skews technical, uh, but like in general, we are very, I would say like we're a solidly diverse team in terms of like the experiences that we come from um, across all ages, everyone from like people like who were born and raised in Detroit to like people like me who grew up in the Bay Area and are kind of the prime example. <laughs> the opposite of Detroit. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, no, so I think like we, we've done a good job creating a team that has like a, a healthy balance of like domain expertise um, and kind of like new thinking and overall, like, I think like really good attitudes towards all this. But yeah, I would say we skew again, like product thinkers, like so people are very good at like taking down um, like a really ambiguous question or problem and turning it into something that's like practicable and shippable. So um, yeah, and so there's like a lot of, in terms of how we're organized, um, I, you know, we do have specific sub teams, but without going too in depth into that, uh, we fo we have people who focus on everything from the consumer facing experiences to the kinds of tools and experiences that help us uh, every do everything from manage the fleets of the cars to actually like training them and sure. evolving them. I so, uh, yeah, lots of really interesting work across all those things. Uh, is is the hiring process for designers in this? similar to what you've experienced at uh, you know like facebook is like yeah can you do a whiteboard exercise do you like a portfolio review or is this draw me a car yeah <laughs> is this yeah. a different enough space where you actually have to interview quite differently for for something I, like this you know honestly like i think that um again it's it's sort of um it's it's almost like a lot of the best solutions have already been come up with in some ways like as in like uh the right way to design for this industry is almost like some of the right ways to design for other things as well and so i think that we end up stealing a lot of patterns and practices from like other different types of fields because they're familiar to people and so often what's familiar makes really good solutions and so what that means for the design team is at least like our design team like we hire yeah in very much a similar way to um you know other like UX tech type companies that I've been a part of or been exposed to. So yeah, we very much hire in the same way, but I do think that, you know, as with any team, we place like really particular emphasis on like how those people uh, culturally add to our team as well and like challenge the thinking or bring something new to the table. Um, and so, yeah, so like honestly, like to the short answer to that, that was too long of an answer for that question, <laughs> but the short answer is yes, it's like very similar to what you'd see at other companies. I see. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. 
Uh, let's jump back to the beginning. I'm really curious to understand how you ended up doing this at, in the first place. Um, so where are you from? Uh, so I am from, I always tell people I'm from the Bay Area, um, but I'm actually from San Diego. Liar. I say, <laughs> So you lied to everyone. I, uh, bluntly lied to everyone because I spent, so basically my parents thought it would be a good idea to uh, move the family from San Diego to uh, a town called Atherton a month before we started high school. So it was basically like cool just when we started making friends. Nice. Yeah. Let's good go one, here. parents. Yeah. So <laughs> if your parents are listening, good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they know how to find podcasts, but uh, sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, went to high school in the Bay Area. And then from there, I went to. Uh, Duke University, which is in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, highly recommend people go there. And uh, yeah, from there I studied. I didn't know what design was really at all. Um, hey, wait, wait, hang on. Back yeah. up. What were you? What were you into? Like, yeah. Before, why would you even want to go to Duke? What were you doing at? The okay. Time? What was it like growing up in San Diego? Yeah. Surf, so surfing all the time. <laughs> That's mostly it. No, I think um I I always kind of say that San Diego like ruined me for um, challenges in life because it's just such an easy, lovely place to be that like nothing goes wrong there. Um, Literally nothing goes wrong. Yeah, and so uh, like you know uh, I even just getting to the Bay Area, I was like, it's so cold and things like that. Uh, and so, yeah, so it kind of ruined me for those sorts of challenges. But um, the challenges of weather. The challenge, that's it. Yeah. But, um, no, I mean, San Diego is just a super pleasant, amazing place to be and to grow up as well. Um, when I was in high school, I actually went to a very strange alternative high school uh where basically like very I, bay area very bay area yeah uh so i grew up with a twin sister she went to like the very normal um like rah-rah high school with like the football <laughs> ah, yes. teams yeah exactly. <laughs> uh and so just very very like when you picture a high school in like a movie like that's what she went to uh i went to a different one because at the time i uh I didn't know when we would get to this in this interview, but usually it comes much earlier. I uh, rode horses very yes, competitively. I was hoping this would be the time. <laughs> <laughs> I rode horses very competitively uh, throughout the younger years of my life. And so uh, I also spawned off from horses, but basically got really into photography Wait, and doing it professionally. Is it a horse school? No. Okay. But horse high school taught horse. exclusively by horses. That's a good movie. <laughs> I mean, horse school. Look, I did I wear riding clothes to school? Yes. yes. Was it the best choice? Uh, I don't know. It's questionable. I turned, I turned out okay. But anyway, so um, yeah, so I would basically like do these classes that were almost like tutoring, um, as in like I would plan out my schedule and do like one on one classes, sometimes with a few other people if like schedules worked out. And I would usually like cram in all my school into like a few days a week. And then the rest of the time I would go travel places, uh, either for photography or uh, horse competitions. So I was doing um, a lot of like modeling type photo shoots and things like that. Uh, not me, but me behind the camera of that. And then uh, I was also working for Nat Geo for a couple summers and uh, did like documentary photography. And How did that happen? That's crazy. Yeah, I, well, so the it started with the modeling thing, um, which is where uh, I had a really great friend growing up who I always thought like could be a model, which I learned from watching America's Next Top Model growing up and told her like, you, you got to do this. And so uh, 
anyway, I took some pictures of her in her backyard. Just smize and you'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> so you've, you've seen the show. Um, and anyway, so like I took those pictures of her and then we sent them to like some random agency in New York. And uh, we both got called in and they're like, hey, like we want you this girl to model, but we also want whoever took these pictures like we want you to come in too and so we both came in and they were like oh these are like children who we brought in here but anyways so, <laughs> um anyway so uh so we started like act I started actually like, doing some of the test shoots so I would do test shoots on the models and things like that and um I'd kind of developed these skills over time from like shooting photos of horses uh, and like my friends competing. I'm going to shoot like you that. like I would a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Nature's model. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I. <laughs> the most yeah. elegant animal that exists. <laughs> like one of your horses. Uh, <laughs> Terribly is the answer. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was how I got into all that. And then I kind of like. I really considered photography as like a career at that point. And so the same time as this was all going on, I was selling photos and running a business, um, shooting these horses. And so shooting photos shooting of the horses, photos <laughs> of the horses, just to clarify, uh, of horses. I ran to kill nature's models, <laughs> a horse slaughterhouse and also a photographer. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, multi-purpose studio but anyway uh i she killed it as a business <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh god i love horses but anyway so <laughs> i yeah so uh while this is going on i look back and i'm like oh my gosh this i would not have a job if i hadn't been doing this but basically i was learning how to edit the photos and build websites to host the photos and do things like that and so i think everyone has their classic like how did I accidentally learn all the skills that like make me like relevant in the job industry mm -hmm. today? Um, and three modeling like, horses. It was <laughs> yeah, modeling horses. So anyway, so I uh, actually it's kind of funny. Like I've over time. Um, so one day when I was first making a portfolio, uh, I didn't know like how to make a design portfolio, and I remember reading everyone's taglines on their websites. And oh like, no, I'm. I'm a designer, <laughs> like in like entrepreneur, thinker, yeah. obsessed uh, with experience, obsessed with experience, purveyor of pixels, human centered, <laughs> things like that. And I was like, God, I, I say human centered piece for some reason. <laughs> no, <laughs> the normal human centered piece, human centered human. Yeah. Uh, no, and so I would read those things though, and I was just like, I can't say that. Like I, you know, at the time I like had no portfolio, like a. a an item in my portfolio was my portfolio website when I applied to Facebook. That was Sick. the case. Yeah, no. And so I'm Rec a so very recursive. meta, like yeah, deconstructed yeah. how I made it. Anyway, um, and so, but that's like how little I was working with at that point. Anyway, so I didn't feel like I had any claim to be saying, I, I barely felt confident saying like, I'm a designer. I'm um, big in the horse world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but so uh, I was like, my tagline for a while was like weird horse girl who became a designer. Uh -huh. And uh, you don't have many centaurs in this industry. So it makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but so I, uh, so I had that for a while and uh, actually it became this like point of like people would reach out to me because I had that on there. Yeah. So like random VCs and like people in the design industry were like, you know, maybe you don't have the portfolio right now, but like, that's pretty funny or like you but, should keep that. But tell me about your horse. But tell me about your horse. <laughs> and actually the the thing is I realized over time it was actually like a great lead into telling them like how I got into design mm -hmm. and like how I learned it and things like that. And so sure. anyway, um, it used to be something I was so embarrassed now, about and now I kind of like own it. And Lean into it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Uh, yeah. It is in your Twitter bio. <laughs> it is in my Twitter bio. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I did was, um, so the most famous I've been in my life was uh, <laughs> when I had a YouTube channel. I'm not going to say what it was called, but mm. I had this YouTube channel where I would post videos of me riding my horses uh-huh. and uh, because a lot of them were for sale and things like that. So some people liked these videos enough to where they started editing them to like, I don't know, oh like any like ridiculous pop songs that oh you could no. think of, like right round and stuff like Flo Rida songs <laughs> oh and things like that. And uh, they would edit these like crazy colorful videos of me on my horses and make me fan videos essentially of my horses. Oh my God. Yeah. Rotten dirty for sure. And exactly. <laughs> so yeah. And so that was happening. And I was like, for at first I was like, just kind of like taking it in, like mm-hmm. whatever. And then I was like, that looks kind of, I should, I don't know. I could try that. And so I started editing hip hop horse girl. <laughs> hip hop horse girl. Yeah. I started editing like videos to, to these like songs. And I, again, it was the same thing where it's like how I learned motion design was I was doing VFX and yeah. like that kind of thing on these videos. Oh my God. So, okay. You don't have to tell us the name of the channel, but yeah. just tell me if the channel still exists. It, Are these videos on the internet? Okay, so my <laughs> channel is totally private. You can't find anything on it, but like the videos are rampant. They're okay. everywhere. Like if you knew the name, they, like tons of results would come up. So yes, oh, they're no. there. Uh, one of my first few weeks at work, uh, like, or uh, sorry, after some people joined the team, um, that's all they were doing was like trying to like find these things. Did anyone I've, find it? M- maybe, but anyway, so uh, <laughs> maybe one of them did, but. Uh, yeah, that or like, I don't know. I just have like, I'm very Googleable. Like there's just like a ton of like <laughs> stuff about me um, on the internet and like embarrassing videos and um, remnants of my childhood. So yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's so what the internet's for. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening, yeah. Like just, you okay. know, have, give it a quick Goog. There's and something to do for up. your Sunday mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Uh Wednesday at this point. Wednesday. Wednesday oh, point. for your Wednesday. Well, I'm actually, sorry. it could be literally any day. Yeah, that's oh. how podcasts work. Yeah, that's how podcasts work. For your work. any day that it is currently right now. For any day that it is today. Yeah. All right. So, uh, horses, photography to video. Uh, Does GM know you're an inside mole working for a big horse? <laughs> Turns they, out people just want a faster horse. You got me. You got me. Surprise. Uh, but what if faster horse? I, Self-driving even. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, it would save a lot of on congestion, yeah. all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, no, but I think, uh, no, it's, I, sometimes I joke that I got confused and ended, I saw horsepower and ended up at a car company because I didn't understand. Um, yeah. I also. It's a good joke. Know. No? Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, so please laugh. Nice work. <laughs> please clap. Uh, please clap. Uh, yeah. So how? Okay. And then you. What okay. was the question? I'm sorry. It, I hadn't asked the question yet. So oh. horses to photos to videos, uh, and then you're like, I got to get out of California. Yes. Actually, no. Is that, that actually was what happened? Exactly. It was. Uh, my family lived really this close. This place is too nice. <laughs> I it's was so like, pleasant. I got to experience the world as like everyone kind so of. So you like, went to Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> right. Uh, that metropolis. The yes. metropolis. Yes, exactly. One of the big cities. City of the world. Yeah. As you would say. Uh, no, but so 
I okay so basically like my criteria when looking for colleges was I want something like Stanford that is as far away from here as possible the east coast Stanford the east coast Stanford and so Duke the east coast Stanford (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah that's um I think like you know better logo though Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, the Blue Devil's way better than that yeah. stupid tree. Yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, Stanford I think is like cardinal, so it's like a color. I don't know. Anyway, but still um, bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I um, and yeah, basically, also just Duke was like really beautiful, and mm-hmm. that was I don't know. I think like these are probably all the wrong decisions to be making about a school, but I didn't like have this strong opinion of what I wanted to major in and things like that. And uh, Duke seemed like this like lovely place. Um, I actually like had a like not a very good visit one of the times but I was like got in and was like this feels I don't know I have some weird feeling about this and um when I I'm a very cerebral person and so when like I have a gut feeling about something I'm like I gotta just let that one I just gotta do that like uh so that I stop being so cerebral and answer to that so anyway yeah went to Duke um amazing loved it awesome um and what did you study uh so I studied public policy uh, oh. and behavioral economics were like my focuses. And then um, when I, I studied abroad to in Copenhagen and specifically did an urban design program there. And so I did some like combination of all those sorts of things. So Duke is a very traditional liberal arts school in that it doesn't have like a design program or anything like that. And so I knew what I didn't realize, like looking back, like I realized that I had like all of these skills that would make you a designer, but I didn't like know what design was. Um, And so when I got there, I had sort of this inkling that like, I don't want to do photography anymore. I felt like sometimes you don't want to do your hobby as like your job. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I realized I probably didn't want to be a photographer, but I wanted to still do something that was like creative plus businessy. And I didn't really know. A very special set of skills. (laughs) Right. So I And of courses are involved. Well, ideally, yes. Ideally. Um, But so uh, I didn't know what that was. And my freshman year at Duke, I didn't know what I wanted to study, anything like that. Like public policy was actually like kind of known as this major where like you do it if you don't know what you want to do because you take so many different subjects that like you kind of hope you deviate into one but I ended, I ended up just it kind like of feels loving. like that's how a lot of people end up in public policy <laughs> no seriously yeah, that's yeah it's like how a lot of people end up politicians and things too but uh anyway so I started in that but um didn't really know what I wanted to do and at the same time so my freshman year I uh applied to join this company that was student run but not affiliated with Duke at all called Campus Enterprises and it was all run by Duke students and uh, every year they would recruit 14 freshmen to replace the outgoing 14 seniors. Anyway, so I applied to this as like the ch- I was like I would like to be the chief marketing officer of this company because I like had some inkling that like marketing was like what I wanted to do. Um, everyone at Duke goes into like finance consulting or marketing or med school, things like that. And so, uh, so yeah, I got into the company and started trying to figure this all out so the company i would describe it as like a mini uber for duke in that they did everything from like transportation <laughs> uber to delivery. for duke yes yeah, literally <laughs> transportation logistics uh like cleaning services um like any kind of little business you could spin up uh like they would do it and they did it all on food points so they had kind of the company had its own little monopoly on like students food points because <laughs> you would always come in and have like a surplus of that and hilarious like that. wow yeah, yeah. so 
Um, that company had like 70 total people involved with it. So it was like 40 students or so. And then like uh, like a bunch of contract workers that we had on like delivery and cleaning and that, those sorts of services. And so that when all I got paid in food points. Yes. Well, yeah, no, uh, converted to money. Um, <laughs> What's so, the exchange rate on food point to dollar? <laughs> Uh, I not what it used to be, but <laughs> times have changed. Inflation, have changed. inflation has ravaged the food point economy, the university <laughs> system, exactly. Um, yeah. So at the time, um, I didn't. Again, I didn't know what design was, but I look back and realize that all the things I was doing were design. So the first thing I did was realize we didn't really have a popular brand. So I decided, like, okay, we should like create sub brands for all of these different businesses, so that Duber. people. <laughs> your weed delivery service <laughs> exactly uh no but so they would hate me if i were <laughs> saying that and still working there but anyway uh so we started to uh basically create all these sub brands and <laughs> you're so dumb that's not that funny yeah but all the delivery people can be called doobies <laughs> <laughs> Your Duber driver. <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. Back on track. Um, no, no, this is this is great. I'm writing this down. Uh, but I. So uh, at the time, yeah, like didn't know what marketing was, created all these sub brands and then uh, started creating like websites for like delivery and things like that. And then I had sort of this vision of like you have this app where basically it's like one login and like one access to all of these services because before we had operated these things like very disparately. Mm -hmm. And so we started kind of like plotting and coming up with that sort of thing. Um, and, and that I, became Facebook. Yeah, that is the story of Facebook. This is the true story. People, the social network got it's it It's a million wrong. services interconnected with one login. A movie, yeah, the movie was like so wrong about this, but... Um, Specifically that you weren't in it. That it at all. It was yeah. like, it was just fuck? written out. Um, Who's this Mark guy? <laughs> yeah. Alter uh, ego. <laughs> Can't have a company run by a centaur. <laughs> yeah, it's bad for, you know, publicity. So they put a robot in. Yeah. <laughs> all right sorry it's all good i told no, you we were gonna distract you a lot no i this is a way more interesting story um uh yeah, yeah there's centaurs and robots <laughs> <laughs> most stories are better with those um yeah so i you know was like doing all that and so i started designing apps and designing websites and doing all that and just having no idea what i was doing mm -hmm. and i did what like i would the i did the advice i would give to anyone starting out in design today which is like um to get good at craft like starting by kind of copying people or like learning from what they're doing sure. so um i'm you know i have some things in there that i still show people and like i'm i'm not like totally embarrassed of that work i mean i am but like I look at it and I'm like, oh, there was actually like craft thinking or like mm -hmm. I didn't ha struggle with like weird padding and like kind of those like tiny details because I would just copy like iOS and things like that, like sure. diligently. Anyway, so I like was developing a design eye at that time. Again, still had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then uh, eventually I was supposed to do an internship at consulting, um, bailed out of that like a little bit before I was supposed to go because then I really learned what consulting was and didn't. I don't know that didn't sound very fun to me um, and so I came back to the Bay Area and just was like at home and like uh, I was like oh maybe I'll just do like graphic design projects so I was thinking like maybe I want to be a graphic designer and uh, so as I was starting to do that I had this website uh, which was mostly about my photography and uh, the the founder of a company um, that was called Secret which was an anonymous social mm -hmm. network mm -hmm. um, David Baitow he reached out to me um, because of my website and just said like, hey, 
you know, your website seems kind of interesting. Like, do you want to chat some time? And I was like, this is my break. Like, this is like it. Uh, and because I had seen stuff about Secret, it was like a super... Um, is this still back in the black and white phase? This is the black and white, okay. like infamous. Yeah, yeah. it's it kind of an infamous platform. Um, and it was like sort of one of the original like anonymous type mm-hmm. uh, social apps back when that was like super big. That was and, one of the first uh, design details blog posts I did. Oh, was really? on Secret. Yeah. No way. Um, yeah, so Wait, I, wasn't it the fox at that point? Yeah. Like the little yellow and red fox? Or was it still the white and black one? Uh, I don't know, but you can keep talking. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no. I mean, um, yeah, they put like so much so much thought into like all these mechanics of how anonymity worked. But anyway, so I joined, basically like I met with David and he's like, I don't know what you do, like, but I want you to come work here. And I was like, oh, well, I've done marketing. And so he's like, okay, I guess you can do that. And so I went there and I started doing marketing and content and um, not really understanding what that job meant. I was like effectively responsible for like pitching like content and things that would like go onto the new website that they were creating to show off like secrets that people had written. Um, And I... Uh, from there, I started seeing what the designers were doing every day, and I had never been around product designers before. And I realized, like, oh my gosh, like that is what I want to do. Like that's, the, and I was like, and I already know how to do that stuff. Like I had been playing with software like Sketch and things yeah. like that, but I just had no idea that that was like a job. I probably should have figured that like companies wouldn't invest all this money into making this software if there wasn't like some sort of industry behind it. But anyway, so yeah, I like at Secret, I just kind of it connected the pieces that design was a thing. Um, and then actually at the end of that summer, I decided to, uh, I was like, okay, next year I'm going to apply for design jobs, but this year I'm just going to like learn and reach out to people. So I reached out to a few different companies, but I really wanted to work at Facebook, um, because I was really interested in a lot of like what they were doing with politics actually, and like public policy related things. And so I reached out to Julie Zhu directly over messenger (laughs) and, uh, she's the current VP of design at Facebook and I was like a lot of people very inspired by a lot of the blog posts and things she had written. And so I, yeah, messaged her and was like kind of from the angle of like, Hey, I'm going to like apply next year. But like, I would love it if you would just look at my stuff and whatever. Um, two weeks later, she responded, uh, and she was like so nice and was just like, Oh yeah. So I forwarded your stuff onto our recruiter. And I was like thinking about that and I was like, okay, so like the VP of design is sending the recruiter this link. The recruiter's like, oh, like shit, I should probably like do something with this or this person's probably like important. So I think like Julie really helped me um, kind of maybe like invent a sense of like skill and importance that I maybe didn't have at that point. Um, (laughs) What do you think it was about that that cold outreach that she ended up even looking at it or, or responding to it in any way? Like, was um, there think, a tactic there? Well, How did okay. you present so, that? I think part of it was like, I reached out to her over Messenger and not maybe like email or something that was like kind of bogged down at the time. Uh, also at the time, Messenger didn't have that feature yet where like random requests would like go to some other inbox. Ugh. So I think I benefited from that. But uh, I also, honestly, like I think part of it was just that I wasn't asking for a job. Like I was just like, I pointed out something from one of her articles and was like kind of asking about it and like prodding on it and saying like, I thought this about it. And uh, I don't know, I was just genuinely interested in like learning more from her if that was even possible. And I already had kind of written off the possibility of a job that year. And so I think I reached out from more of a like interest and I care about what you do position. The lack of desperation was. Oh no, that was there. There was definitely some desperation, (laughs) but 
uh, just not like as maybe overtly <laughs> like, see. please give me a job. So um, and I think like I've taken that lesson into like other parts of my career too. Like I think that um, a lot of people, I don't know, uh, it's almost like people have conversations and you kind of don't know what the conversation is. Like, is this like a job request or something like that versus just like us hanging out and becoming friends and things yeah. like that. Are so, we networking right yeah. now? <laughs> so, <laughs> this, is, that yes. what, is that what this is? Uh, bluntly, yes. No, but I, I, yeah. And so I realized like, I think very early on kind of like uh, how transactional, like some of those, uh, especially people like her, like how transactional so many of her experiences must tend to feel. And so I didn't want to be one of those a person contributing to that also bluntly i just like didn't believe that i was like t i had the experience to do that um anyway so i ended up getting that internship and uh interning on the profile team at facebook and uh i got there and every design intern was from canada and went to some canadian design school you and was waterloo like, <laughs> yeah there and like just all these places wait was this right after the tehan and lax uh, yes, so they had just yeah. gone to the company. So yeah. John Tian and uh, or, or John, Jeff Tian, John Tian and John Jeff Lax, Tien, whatever guys. the names are. Uh, <laughs> no, Jeff Tian and John Lax, who are wonderful. Um, and actually, like John um, was a super great mentor to me throughout the whole experience because um, my manager unfortunately had to leave pretty early into the experience for an emergency, and she came back at the end. But throughout, um, I ended up sort of like taking on some of her work, and John was like, you know, giving me these like prologues of wisdom throughout the entire time so um so john if you're listening thanks for that uh anyway so uh yeah like throughout that experience i remember getting in though and like all these interns seemed to know everything like they seemed to already like they were like okay so let's prototype and i was like what is that uh <laughs> like i didn't know anything and someone kept talking about tool tips and like my manager was like oh yeah just use a tool tip and i was like what is that? What's the tool tip? I was like Googling. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard toasts and I was like, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh. For the longest time, like yeah. too long. Yeah. Um, you can't just Google toasts. Exactly. <laughs> what is a toast? <laughs> yeah. And just things like uh, spec, like people are like, oh, we should like, you know, spec this out. And I was like, is that like a, a meeting that I'm going to? Like I had no idea what they were talking about. And so uh, as much as like, you know, I definitely sell my like non-traditional experience as a strength, like just frankly, like when you're not taught to be a designer, you're like missing this huge vocabulary. And so one of the things that I was grateful to Facebook for was like, I felt like it was kind of like this design university for me or something where I like got a chance to like be around so many people that like, it would be silly if I didn't walk out of there, like knowing this yeah, like vernacular. I think that's interesting, but also is a good reminder that the language no that we like use, Facebook. well, the language that we use can in many ways be prohibitive without us realizing it. So for example, we get emails still quite frequently from people that are like, what does IC mean? Because we just say it all the time. Like, right. I see. Right. Uh, the first time it was but, introduced on the show though, I had never heard it. I was like, what are you, what? Yeah. Like even then it's, it's just like super deep lingo that you get more comfortable with over time, but can be prohibitive to people that are new or just don't happen to give a shit about what is happening in the Bay Area and they're listening to, to people talk, you know? Yeah. And I think like even as you get into the sub components of design that happens too. like, I remember like year after this internship, I come back to Facebook, join the VR team and I'm like, I, I know what a spec is now. So like, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> watch out. Uh, and then as soon as I start working in VR, VR is just all acronyms, like even VR itself, AR, 360, like I don't know, six doff, like all these phrases that I was just like, 
what nerbs is happening exactly fong no yeah like so everything with 3d too i was just like what like shader i was like what Mm. is that anyway so um it was like i felt like i was like yeah i know a lot of stuff now and whatever and then it was like oh actually like uh beginner again kind of like that syndrome so um yeah i try and be like super mindful of that like when speaking to other people it's just like you know i yeah i'm constantly like learning new terms and things like that too and like you wouldn't want to be prohibitive in any way so yeah uh so you did the internship on profile yes you learned a lot and then you decided to go back to school did another year and then i'm assuming that was when you graduated and then facebook became yeah so um yes i interned on profile um and that was a wonderful experience worked some really great people and um yeah, left and uh, came back a year later. And actually, I didn't know what team I was joining. So I was yeah. really nervous to come back to Facebook. I wouldn't have joined that one without knowing either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, but so, and so I had to go through this like sorority rush process of teams <laughs> where yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> we prepped each other. Open allocation. Open allocation yeah. is what it's officially called, not sorority rush. But um, so yeah, we like- Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's a little, yeah. No, I mean, it, that makes sense. Like- Having heard stories, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what that is. But also, yeah, holy shit, that's funny. Yeah. Less hazing. Le- a lot less hazing. Um, yeah. And so, uh, no, I mean, everyone was so kind and it was like not like a really stressful process. Um, and I for- I was so fortunate that I had like really great teams to choose from. Social VR was like my like top choice, but not. I didn't even know if I could even was allowed to join that team or something. Uh, but that, uh, the people on that team, like they were by far the, like the, put in the most effort to reach out to me and get to know me and like meet me. And so, uh, yeah, that ended up the team that I joined um, and they graciously let me on it, even though I had barely knew what a spec was. And- uh, can, can you dig into that a little more? Yeah. Like the phrasing you used there is super interesting. Like I didn't even know if I had permission to work on this thing <laughs> because I think that is interesting, especially, as a designer thinking like, oh, autonomous cars, I need to know a lot about cars or know a lot about cars. A lot about cars. VR. Like what oh, the plural I need, form I need of- to know how to do 3D modeling before I could ever apply to be a VR designer. Like, I feel like there's these mental blocks that people have that prevent them from even just reaching out to something that sounds interesting. Yeah, I think like just, uh, I think like as a kid, I was like lucky that I had, um, I, I think like I, I joke sometimes that I like didn't really have a childhood. I had like early CEO training. Um, my dad uh, was always talking to me like, you know, when you fire someone. Oh or my like, God. <laughs> so he was always like teaching me to be bold and like encourage. Did you have reaching annual, out. annual reviews as a child? Well, okay. So um, a lot of kids are like, so my parents were great in that they never like forced me into doing things. Did you get fired from allowance? <laughs> the only thing... Actually, my dad got me into like crypto pretty early, like fortunately early, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but like I looked back at the time and thought he was like kind of going crazy or something. But anyway, um, I so when I was a kid, the only thing my parents forced me to do was Toastmasters. So uh, like basically, if people don't know what Toastmasters is, I don't know like, Toastmasters. You are it's like basically a set of uh, it can be classes or just like a group that gets together to um, perform speeches. And so it's it's just like early public speaking training. And the problem that I that they were tr- my parents were trying to address was like I was the shyest kid. Mm. Like I am so introverted and 
uh, they were just like, nope, <laughs> like they're the most extroverted, like boisterous people. And so uh, they were like, nope, nope, we're not having like, you know, you're just going to miss out on so much in life if you like literally don't say a word to anyone and just like hide behind our legs. You're a horse whisperer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good one uh yeah so anyways I did a lot of Toastmasters when I was a kid and um anyway so I think like just I I paint all that to say that I was lucky that like early on in life I had like these um people around me who like really pushed me to do uh things beyond maybe what I thought was possible um I tend to find that a lot of my friends who um don't do don't reach out for an opportunity like we're sort of missing that like at an early age like someone pushing them to do that uh, this is another example that's sort of more embarrassing, which is like my mom. Um, I describe her as like someone who will send things back at a restaurant. Like either you are that person or you are not that person. I am not that person. And my mom is totally that person. And she's like the person, like as soon as we get to a hotel or something, she like goes straight down to the front desk and like asks about like, how do we upgrade for no yeah. merit reason? Yeah. 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 So uh, I am I'm not I, sure if that's like genius and just like. I don't know, like social engineering yeah. or like she just is just bad. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know either. It's something I've been conflicted about for uh, m- my whole life. But optimization. I, optimization. It, it's, no, it's like there are people who just know what they want and aren't afraid to try and get the thing because they know that there's no downside. Like there's no downside to asking the person at the hotel front desk, can right. you upgrade me? There's literally zero downside there's only upside right but it's such a weird social interaction that nobody does it exactly and i think like um i'm still conflicted I, like definitely there are moments where i'm like i am my mom um <laughs> and then others where i'm like well, mm, half what yeah uh and so i yeah so there are moments where i definitely feel like i i am that uh but then so anyway but the point being and how this relates back to the question that you originally asked <laughs> which is like the barriers to yeah. designing for these things was um i've been taught at early age to like ask for what I want and to like see the upside maybe more and like kind of eliminate the thought that there even is a downside and so yeah like when I was talking to the team about um you know joining VR I remember like Gabe Valdivia was like one of the few he's been on the show a bunch of times Uh um and uh and actually like I feel like I've only known you two through like so many experiences being with Gabe and I'm peripherally I think yeah yeah that's like the only times I've run into you yeah (laughs) exactly and so uh anyway like I remember meeting him and just like kind of boldly telling him what I thought oh no (laughs) (laughs) not Mr. Contrarian (laughs) him boldly telling me back why I was wrong um Um, yeah, anyway, so, uh, uh, yeah, so I think, like, um, because I did that sort of thing and just went, like, kind of guns blazing into the team, like, they sort of were like, you know, if she she seems confident, maybe, or at least, like, that makes up for a lot. And self-driving cars, too, I felt like I just went into the room when I talked to these people and was just like, this is why I should, you need me to do this kind of thing, less than, like, can I have permission to like learn how to design for this or something? Um, but I also think the other thing too is just like, it's not even just confidence. It's just that people build these like imaginary barriers between what it means to design for something like in the future uh, versus everything else. But like I use so many of the same design tools. I like participate in so many of the same discussions. And uh, I don't know, I think like it's it's not very different from what people do today. So I think the barrier is much lower than people actually know. Gotcha. So you ended up on the, VR team. Yeah. Uh, Social VR. How was it? Like, 
was it exciting? Was it fun? Was it a challenge? Like, tell I think me about that. It was uh, one of those experiences that I will look continue to only appreciate more over mm. time. Like, it was just, I mean, it was like magical at the time, but not for the reasons that people think it was. Like, really, to me, the best thing I had was the team that I was with. Um, and people like Gabe or uh, my manager at the time was Charlie Sutton. Oh, and Charlie's great. I yeah. love Charlie. Charlie, if he hasn't been on the show, he should be. But he, he hasn't. Oh, really? Okay. Charlie. Charlie. Uh, and just all the, and Christophe Tazier, like just lots of people who I was just like, I was surrounded by like just some of the most talented designers like out there, not to mention like 3D artists and things. Like I remember like one day just like the sky from Pixar was just plopped down across from me and they were like just work together and I was like what like this is like <laughs> cool. all my dreams coming true anyway so um so I mean designing VR was a very interesting set of challenges and like real I mean it's it's difficult in that like I feel like it's always been the year of VR for the last like five years or something so yeah. it's it, and I say that to mean like it's very ambiguous like when it's going to become a thing and like when it's going to be something democratized that people use so it was always an uncertain set of problems to be working on but like man, I had just such an amazing team that I worked with and uh, Charlie did a really great job like establishing that. But um, I don't know, I just became like super close with the people on it. And uh, that that for me was like absolutely the best part. At what point did your interest start to shift towards what you're doing now? So I think I've always been peripherally interested in autonomous vehicles, but more so actually the problem they end up solving. Um, so I like, again, I urban design like mm -hmm. was in Copenhagen and kind of realized like I was like people here are so happy like what is the root cause of this and uh, I remember I asked one of my Danish professors that and he's like bikes yeah like that was just like his <laughs> answers was like bikes and I was like well, that sounds about familiar that. from like any conversation you have with any European Ex exactly <laughs> like any European um, and now throughout San Francisco we're kind finally starting to kind of realize that but anyway and so I got very fascinated in transportation as kind of this like uh, one-stop solution to like solving so many problems with cities. And so uh, I like wrote, I took like a class at the end of Duke and like I had to write like a mini thesis for that class and a f like a final term paper. And I wrote about autonomous vehicles. The, the prompt was basically like, if you had a silver bullet to like, quote unquote, like save cities, it was phrased in a much more eloquent way, like what would you do? And so I talked about like autonomy and like basically new forms of transportation and like kind of the residual benefits. So I had, been interested. I see. Uh, I wasn't like overtly looking because I really loved my job at Facebook. But a piece of advice that I encourage people to think about, uh, especially earlier on in their careers, is just like, you know, don't look when you're down. Like, if you can look when you're up, like, as in, like, to kind of explore other opportunities and not necessarily like look for jobs, but maybe at least like push your thinking about like what you thought you wanted to be doing. Um, I think that that can be. Uh, it's like you're not in a desperate situation. It's actually just sort yeah. of joyful. You and have leverage. That's the word, yes. Uh, and so anyway, like, yeah, so I, you know, was reached out to by some of the autonomous companies and they said specifically like one of them was really interested in um, the fact that I had 3D experience. And so as soon as they said that to me, I was like, I took that and kind of used, spun that to every single other one. So I was like, yeah, like, because <laughs> I was like, you really need this type of experience, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up talking to a bunch of them and still wasn't really convinced I was going to leave because I I loved my team. It was fantastic. But 
I knew a lot of people were moving on from the projects we were doing. So uh, a lot of the people on that team today are not the same ones that I was with. And Gabe and Christoph yeah. specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. And so there's a lot of shifts going on. And so I uh, and part of the fun and working on it was like being with those people specifically. So it wasn't like I became disinterested with VR, but I had been. It wasn't something I, I wasn't like a lot of people where they went into like the industry like, oh, my gosh, I like love VR and this is like what I want to do all the time. I was super fascinated with it, but I uh, was more interested maybe in some of these other problems, like near term feeling things like um, the climate, like climate change and things like that. And so uh, anyway, I. Yeah. So I just talked to the, a lot of these companies more because someone reached out and I decided, like, let me actually explore this. Never yeah. thought that something I could do. And. I really liked the people at Cruise a lot and what they were saying. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. That's awesome. Yeah. And now we're we're back to where we are. Uh, well, we're back to today. Yeah. Uh, and we always like to ask at the end, what what's keeping you up at night these days? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I think like mostly, uh, you know, a, a lot of job things, of course, like I have maybe never been so passionate working on something before, like the kinds of challenges I work on. I like, so you hear that cruise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and blink I, twice. If they're telling you to say this, <laughs> oh God, uh, no. oh, they'll I, never know. <laughs> they'll never know. <laughs> uh, no, I mean like some days I'll just like wake up and like find my brain starting to like try to like map something that the car is doing. And I'm like, but what if it's this maneuver and that thing? <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh my gosh, like go to, I, go to bed like nerd just, yeah exactly <laughs> so that's like that's sort of that ridiculous thing but um i think also lately i've become very aware self-aware of the fact that like i used to have like a lot of these artistic hobbies and i feel like i burned through some of them because i started to try and make them like my job and so mm -hmm. i think like for me trying to like regain sort of the love and interest in some of those things has been really important um so you know i think stuff like photography like i've uh mostly done like iphone photography and have kind of a ridiculous instagram and stuff like that and uh have gotten like kind of rekindled that interest or i was telling you guys earlier like improv and comedy and things like mm -hmm. that is something i've been like cautiously stepping into but because i don't want to like ruin not my hobby i guess like being funny is like hopefully something that you like just are and it's yeah. not like i don't know anyway but so um like starting to delve more into things like that and so yeah, I guess the thing that like keeps me up in that regard is more just like how am I like creating balance and like how am I like uh, finding those sorts of, that sort of balance. Not to mention like politics and like all the other crazy things happening in the world. <laughs> Not to but... mention the impending end of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for for coming and hanging out. Thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Yeah, After Gabe's been on the show like three times, I was like, guys, finally, finally, <laughs> finally, it's about has he been on three times? He's been on twice. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. He was uh, on like episode four. I just assume by the time this gets recorded, that was right before produced, he went to London. Been on it again. Yeah. So I don't remember. I don't know either. Classic. I think we had him on when he came back from London too. Yeah. Hi, Gabe. Uh, well, cool. Thanks again. Thanks for coming on. Thanks Appreciate so much it. for having me. Yeah. That was 251. Thank you so much to Steph for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you to you for listening. Thank, Thank you to you me for making that good, good one joke. Making the goof. And thank you to you, Bryn, not the listener, for uh, 
also making some goofs. What was the goof again? There's one goof. Uh, you made like the, one joke. The duper. <laughs> that one got me. No, I made that joke. I know. That's, You're just very happy. That was the one. Uh. <laughs> that, was, that was the one good one that you made. Uh, if you enjoyed it, let us know what you thought. Uh, we're on Twitter at DesignDetailsFM, or you can come hang out with us in Spectrum at spectrum.chat slash specfm. And of course, before we go, huge thank you to our sponsors that made this episode possible. Be sure to go check out Abstract. Sign up. Get your team on board at goabstract.com. They're offering a free month trial to help you upgrade your design process. Uh, again, go Like abs- a layer of abstraction. It's literally leveling up. Yes. Go to goabstract.com. That's probably why they named it that, huh? Something like that. And if you're not doing digital work and you need a better way to take notes, draw mock-ups, or collaborate in person without uh, a whiteboard on the wall, go to swipi.es. That's Swipies. It is wet erase paper that we use all the time. And as soon as you get one uh, or a pack, you will use them all the time. Can't recommend them enough. Go buy a bunch. Buy them for your team and company at swipi.es. Thanks, Swipies. Thanks, Abstract. Thank you for listening. See you next week.